0: Hello and welcome to episode four of the Alehorn podcast. My name is Jason. Today I'm talking to Adam Noe, the drummer for the excellent band Horseburner from West Virginia. He is a former full-time school teacher and now unemployed musician because nobody can play anywhere. So how are you up there in quarantine in West Virginia, Adam?
1: Uh, You know, uh, I'm uh, I'm doing okay. I'm... uh... I'm a very uh, extroverted person, very fidgety person, so a little restless, little cabin fevery, but uh, I'm doing okay overall.
0: Nice, yeah, it's pretty boring around here too, man. Like, I think my county extended the uh, stay-at-home order through like June, the end of June. So I'm like, hey, another two months of boredom coming my way. <laughs>
1: it's probably the <laughs> it's right like, call though.
0: Nothing to do, man. It's so dull.
1: Yeah, I hear that. Uh, When
0: work is the highlight of your day, you know shit's gone in a bad way. (laughs) So, man, I got to ask you, um, when you were a full-time teacher, uh, what grade did you teach?
1: Um, I taught middle school English. Um, I taught fifth grade, I taught sixth grade, and I taught seventh grade throughout uh, the years that I did it. Um, Yeah, interesting, interesting job. It's never boring. Um, But, yeah, it was... uh, it was a riot. It was a strange trip.
0: Well, I was gonna ask, did you ever see like a kid wearing like a uh, like a
1: metal or rock t-shirt and ever tried to turn them on to your band? Uh, no. <laughs> you know it's funny. Um, in my Facebook memories today, something popped up from five years ago, and I made a I made a Facebook status that just said sixth grader in a Rollins band t-shirt, and I uh, I don't remember who was wearing a Rollins Band T-shirt, but I find right. that really funny that you asked me that today of all days, dude. Rollins Band is—I haven't thought of that
0: name in twenty years, so yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> I hadn't, I hadn't thought of them in a while either until uh, apparently five years ago today, and now today. Um, <laughs> what was their big hit? Was it like "Liar" or yeah, something yeah.
0: like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. i ever I listened to that in school. Um, you know what's funny though is uh, I I didn't talk about playing music much to the kids. Um I brought it up um like getting to know you stuff like I'm a musician because what I have found is that kids today will straight up Google you and find out all about your life if you are trying to keep anything private and it's on the internet and obviously, you know, if you're in a band, it's all over the internet. Like you're done. There is no privacy after that. So a bunch of the kids would talk about it, but I tried to steer the conversation other directions.
0: You never try to get like a show at like an all ages venue and be like, "Hey, come on out for extra credit. Let's uh, pack this place
1: out." <laughs> I, I think that's illegal, but that's a pretty oh. good idea.
0: <laughs> Not if it's free and you got pizza,
1: that's true. We um, it like a cultural uh, project. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So, um, man, how did you get into playing drums initially? how old were you and what was your uh, first kit that you kept for any significant amount of time
1: uh so when i was a kid my dad would talk about playing drums um and i've talked about this before he was a kid during the height of beatlemania mania and he would talk about you know he had a band in the 60s and they wore Beatles wigs and they played Beatles covers and i just thought it sounded awesome so in like fourth grade i asked for a kit and i was a really tiny kid i couldn't reach the bass drum pedal so i didn't play much sold the kit um and then in seventh grade, 12, 13 years old, whatever it was, um, I asked for another kit because I had moved down the street from like kids that were into underground music that I'd never heard before. And I was like, well, I used to play drums, which was kind of a lie. Um, so I begged my, my parents for a kit that year. And mom was like, we went down that road before and you didn't do anything. And my dad was like, eh, maybe. And so Christmas Day, of course, dad comes through with a uh, Sonner uh, Force 2001 kit in like a wax cherry red. I had that kid, uh, all through, all through junior high and high school and like my first four bands, I played drums, uh, on that kit. Oh, cool.
0: What was your, uh, band before uh, Horseburner burner was a full time thing?
1: Oh gosh. Um, so between joke bands or little projects, um, I did a list one time of bands that I was in that either played a show or recorded some songs. And I think I've been in like 35 bands or something like that that have done anything. Um, just because, you know, kids growing up in West Virginia, all we had to do was skateboard and play music, so right. that's all we did. Um, my first band I was ever in was called Excoriate with uh, with some friends in middle school, which is Latin for tearing of flesh. Um, nice. Yeah, right. We did uh, Black Sabbath covers and Nirvana covers and we played a tool song, even though I'd been playing drums for like three months and you know, I couldn't play a tool song to save my life now. Um, We're in the same boat. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we played, um, we played a middle school dance, seventh grade, played a dance and our singer was like on the floor screaming and everyone was like, Oh man, is really into it until they got closer and saw he was reading lyrics. He had taped to the floor. We literally got like booed off stage and then, <laughs> um, and then I told this story in a podcast a few months ago. And then like, as soon as I got off the stage, my girlfriend at the time broke up with me. <laughs> and That was, uh, that was my introduction to playing live music. And, uh, I kept going after that.
0: Yeah. It's only uphill from there. Really?
1: I mean, honestly, if I, I've paid my dues, I paid my dues in that first show, but, uh,
0: that's amazing. Actually,
1: it, it's, it's a really fun story to tell. And, uh, you know, oddly, a really good memory. It always makes me laugh to think about that. Uh, my first major embarrassment followed immediately by heartbreak. Do you ever see her around town? Is she still around? Uh, I don't think she lives here anymore. Okay. Um, I th- we're still, like, friendly. I don't know if we're, like, close friends or anything like that. But, uh, nah, she was always she was always cool. Just uh, seventh grade, man. It is what it is. Yep. You're not going to stick around with a guy that just got laughed off stage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, man, I would still be friends with you because I think my first show out was playing was—I wasn't in high school; I was—I was graduated. But um, I remember about the third song, my snare drum fell off the stand. <laughs> And it was like, oh shit, what the hell do I do now? So, right, yeah, it was it was pretty weird because of course everyone's staring at you because you know without the drums it's rather
1: boring and yeah, sounds kind of weird. It wasn't, uh,
0: yeah, it wasn't to the extent of being broke up with, but yeah, it's still like all eyes on you kind of moment for sure.
1: Oh man, gotta love it. Gotta love those early like those things that sear into your memory and are there for good.
0: I still have the video of, of that first show somewhere, but I won't ever watch it. (laughs)
1: I understand
0: (laughs) some things are just better left in the past remembered by very few
1: (laughs) that's uh so um my second band ever that lasted for a few years um uh we were called subconscious uh great name (laughs) and um we you know we recorded two five song eps made our own cdrs printed our own covers and we played some shows uh played a lot of local shows for a couple of years and hey, we weren't good. We, we had this this problem where, like, practices would go really well. And then every show, like, something would fall apart. Something would screw up. Right. I remember we, uh, we opened a show for Bludgeon and the Manhattan Project, if you remember those bands. And it was, like, our worst show ever. Uh, I remember, again, audible laughter from the crowd during one part. And, like, I kept screwing up. Everybody, kept, It was just rough situations every time.
0: I don't know if I've ever been laughed at before, but yeah, that sounds, that sounds like the worst reaction you could ever have
1: <laughs> as a, you know, 13 or 14 year old kid. It's not, it's not the greatest feeling in the world, but it's uh, soul crushing. Right. <laughs> but you know, uh, it's, it's really good memories. Like I said, it's just, you know, ah, no matter how bad it gets when, you know, horse burners on tour and we're playing to nobody and we're broken, starving, it's like, uh, at least I'm still doing this. I, I I survived being laughed at at multiple shows, and I'm surviving this. Like I'm not a quitter.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's for sure, dude. Like You definitely. I think you guys are like the champions of DIY bands, as far as bands that I know. It's like what was it uh, back in like uh, 2011 at the Long Branch Saloon in Knoxville when you guys picked up that last minute show.
1: Oh my gosh the the Long Branch. I forgot what that place was called. Yeah. That that place had a horrible load in up those stairs. Yep. Uh, you know, dragging orange cabs and MPEG 8x10s up up the stairs. Um, Yeah, man, that was crazy. That tour was a mess. That was our first longer tour we'd ever done that wasn't just, you know, two or three days. The shows were awful. We didn't play with any bands that, like, fit with us sonically. We didn't do any advertising. We didn't do anything. We were just like, well, we booked shows. Let's go travel across half the country. And we drove to Texas to play shows with, like, nothing behind it we just hopped in a trailblazer you know four of us packed tight in like sardines yep. pulled a trailer and away we went um but once again great memories and then we met you guys so
0: <laughs>
1: you would think that the venues would promote a little bit i'm always
0: amazed when prom- venues just there's nothing on the walls you know maybe in the men's room that's about it it's like
1: okay That's true. I'm not a promoter. I used to book shows locally every now and again. um, And every, every once in a while, I will on a wild hair. But like, yeah, I can't imagine not doing any kind of promotion. I just, it doesn't make sense. Well,
0: man, luckily here in Asheville, like the good promoters, which is pretty much like, I would say they're all pretty good. Um, They're all in bands, so they all advertise. So it's like, it's nice because... You know, I'll be like, yeah. print out about ten flyers, and I'll keep probably eight of them because I everywhere I everywhere you go that you know flyers are allowed to be posted, they've already beat you to it. So in yeah. a way, it's kind of it's kind
1: of nice. But that yeah. is nice, and you know we love Asheville. It's one of our favorite places to come play. Um, the auditorium, you know, we think of it like home. Um, yeah, Asheville always a great time. Uh, <laughs> we were there a couple months ago with our our friends in Torrance um, at the auditorium, and it was like kind of a bummer just because people thought there was going to be this big snowstorm so not yep. that many people came out and then there was like a couple of snowflakes on the ground <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's usually the way it goes man yeah i swear people look for any excuse not to go anywhere and now that now that there's an excuse that you can't go anywhere everyone's like oh i wish live shows would come back i was like why so you can see outside the smoke i was like y'all never <laughs> damn came inside anyway like who, who the hell are you people you
1: I love that. But you know what? If this makes people appreciate even for a couple of months that, you know, live shows are a thing that still happen, then cool. Let's you know, let's hit it hard in those first couple of months while people want to see music. <laughs>
0: It's like a new phenomenon, like, whoa, people actually play their stuff in other places besides a live stream on YouTube. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Oh, it's crazy how, how
1: <laughs> archaic. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I always told Mike, I was like, man, if I knew the date that they would open everything back up and try to get a show booked that weekend, like, yeah, I bet it would be a sellout, man. Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah. But with talks of like nothing all year, man, I don't, I don't know, man, it's weird.
1: Dude, I know we, uh, you know, we had a lot of a lot of plans canceled. Um because of this we had a we don't this was supposed to be our busiest year ever because jack and i both left our jobs to like focus on the band and take it <laughs> as hard as we could <laughs> and here we are um yeah and that's the thing like we we can't effectively reschedule anything because we don't know what's gonna happen we don't know when anything's gonna open back up and one of the tours i are supposed to do are our first European tour we were super stoked for, um, which was a nightmare getting together and we finally got it together. Last minute came together um, and then it got canceled. And so we were like, well, maybe November we'll try to go back over there. But then, you know, a million bands are replanning their tours that were canceled for the same time. And now we're not even sure if that's going to be available because things might not be open again. So Yeah. yeah, it's, it's really hard to be, a traveling musician right now.
0: Yeah, we were going to try to have our new album out this year and like try to do like a little bit of touring. And then, like, since it's not looking very good for the rest of the year, or at least until the end of the year, I was like, man, I was like, let's just wait until next year release the album and at least have something to tour behind, you know, a little bit of momentum instead of just going out.
1: And, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's weird. And like I said, everybody in the fall, like everything canceled now is like being rescheduled for fall. And then it's probably, it's, they probably have, like, dates in the spring in case those shows don't go through. So, I mean, it's going to be, like, it's going to be really tough to get shows in the next year, man. I have a feeling.
1: Yeah, dude, this this whole thing caught everyone so unprepared. Like, uh, I don't know. The fallout's going to last for a while. I know that.
0: Yeah, the ripple effect for sure will be uh, felt for quite a while.
1: You know, I... Uh... I'm, I'm worried about, you know, some of the venues that we love. Like, I'm worried about some of those places being able to stay open, you know.
0: Well, I talked to Jason from the
1: auditorium the other day.
0: Yeah, and I was asking. I was like, "Man, is like is Gerald's landlord being cool?" And he's like, "No, he still wants rent." I was like, "Well, oh, what's he gonna dude. do? Like, is he gonna like kick you guys out and like have somebody else come in that can't open up either because no bars or restaurants are allowed to operate right now?" I was like, "So, like, what good would that do?" You know? I mean, it just it sucks, man.
1: That that would be so awful because uh, we love the auditorium and I love Jason uh, man I would hate that if that place closed down and like you said like if he kicks if he kicks Kronk out like what's he gonna do <laughs> who's gonna come in right now and be like oh I'll get this bar up and running in the middle of a pandemic like that's not gonna happen
0: yeah exactly I mean it's, it's, it's fucking weird dude I don't, I don't know man
1: uh, that's frustrating but not surprising
0: no, nothing surprising, especially around here. What year did you and Jack uh, start playing together? And like, what year do you think Horse Burner was actually formed?
1: Um, So it's a little fuzzy. I don't remember if it was the end of 2001 or if it was 2002. But uh, Jack and I have a, a really good friend and we all, we lived, you know, within a few blocks of each other. We still live in the same town um, named Matt that we're all we're in a band another band with um, now, but we started playing together in 01 or 02, um, and I picked up bass because Matt also played drums, um, and I couldn't play bass at all. But I was like, eh, "How hard can it be?" Um, and yeah, so Jack and I started playing in 2001 or 2002, and uh, we never stopped. And Horseburner started in 2008. Uh, the band that we had had together previously, To Killer Cure, um, it was a metalcore band that we were in, uh, started in two thousand three, and that's when we started playing with Zach, who was in Horseburner until just last year. Um, and then in two thousand eight, that band broke up, and Jack and Zach and I were like, "Well, let's let's keep going, let's do something new." Uh, we were really big into Baroness and Mastodon and Kylessa, and We're like, "Let's right. start something like that." Um, two thousand eight august i think it was when we had our first practice we didn't have a name um it was just the three of us we didn't have a bass player at the time and yeah we just kind of went on from there
0: who came up with the name uh horse burner for a band name i have to admit dude i love that name
1: um our friend matt actually that uh, jack and i are in another band with we were sitting around in matt's basement we would always uh we would go every monday night we'd watch monday night raw and then we'd hang out, we'd go to the local donut shop afterwards. And one time we were just trying to come up with names and a horse burner popped up from Matt and we all thought it was funny and it stuck and we just went with it. And uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Never any uh, flack from uh, PETA or
1: any, any of those organizations? Um, Very rarely, nothing big. Um, I remember one of the European promoters that we were talking to, like had to be assured that we weren't violent people because of our name. Um, Like one of the other people that was working to help us get the tour together had to like, you know, no, no, they're good people. It's just a name. Like they, they're not violent. They're not violent towards animals. Um, And we had one guy in Philadelphia years ago. uh, He was like, ah, I really like you guys' tunes and your shirts, but I can't wear one because it's violent towards animals. And we're like dude it's not it's we made up a totally different story like it's not it's not harmful to animals it doesn't mean anything it's just nonsense it's absurdity and i don't know it is what it is we're you know we're not unprepared for people to to wince at the name we get that it's weird we get that it seems a little off the wall
0: oh the, when i found out i was playing with a man called horse burner in, in uh, knoxville i was like man i think i think these dudes will be pretty damn awesome because that name is just <laughs> it's fucking perfect yeah, so yeah, I was right, man. Y'all, y'all were pretty killer. I remember that song, uh, "We Expire." I don't know why that song just stuck in my head. Oh man, I've that no in more, years. But man, uh, yeah, that's I love the. Uh, I just love that song, man. I remember it pretty vividly. But I'm sad you never recorded it properly. There's a video on YouTube I can watch every once in a while. It's pretty low quality, but. You know, um. The song there.
1: I think, I think we put that on a demo in like probably that same year, probably 2011. Um, if I still have it, I'll, I'll send you the track or something. I don't remember, but I'll see if I can find it. Man, that, that was a fun song. I forgot about that one.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll uh, scream it at you all next time I see you play. And you can. Oh, God. You can deny so, me. <laughs> with, we'll have to.
1: You know, the way that we've cycled through other members, um, uh, like Seth, who's been playing bass for us since I uh, want to say mid-2017, um, he's never even heard that song. And uh, Matt, who joined, or Matt Strobel, that just joined us on guitar, like, last year, he's definitely never heard that song. So, we got a lot of work to do if we want to bring some back catalog stuff out.
0: Well, dude, I have to say, your new stuff is pretty damn killer, so no matter what Thank you, you, you so play, much. I think I think you'll make a fan if they never heard you, so I think you're in uh, good shape on that.
1: I appreciate that, man. We're, uh, you know, um, with our first full-length we did back in 2016, uh, that was kind of just a compilation of songs. We had never done a full-length because we couldn't afford to put it out. And we were like, you know what? Let's just put it on credit cards and see what happens. Um, And it happened to work out for us because, you know, I want to say we put the work in. And we also have, like, there's some good people in our corner that spread the word for us. Um, And then for, like, this latest album that came out just this past year, we were very deliberate in writing an album that was cohesive and went together. And uh, we're in the middle of doing that now. And, you know, we're branching out in some new directions. We don't want to repeat ourselves, um, but we also don't want to leave completely what we do. So it's a, it's a balance to walk, but we're definitely working on trying to keep things fresh.
0: Man. Did you guys take singing lessons in between dead seeds and the thief
1: by any chance? Uh, No, we, um, we did not. We just, focused more on the vocals um until the thief vocals were always kind of an afterthought for us it was just kind of like let's make cool riffs and then we'll tell these stories but we weren't super concerned with how the vocals sounded it was just it was more of another instrument and um with the thief i think we worked a lot harder on on uh making things that fit and sounded right and trying to bring some more like melody to the songs um which is funny, because up until Dead Seeds, we had our friend Rob Howard playing bass for us, who, like, can actually sing. Um, he's, like, a good singer. And we were like, ah, we don't want to do the singing stuff. And then now that he's gone, we're like, ah, maybe we should have done some singing stuff before. <laughs> so, shout out to Rob. Yeah,
0: I was going to tell you, man, I thought the jump from Dirt City EP to Dead Seeds, Barren Soil album was, like, I don't know what the word for it is. Just, I guess, huge, for lack of a better term. I honestly didn't think you would top that album, but man, when I heard, um, the thief, I was like, damn dude. I was like, this shit's going to damn catapult them pretty big. It's not like you're on the way to being big to this, uh, big derailment that everyone's going through. But, um, yeah, I think y'all get there, man. I honestly do. Like, I think the European tour postponement just means that you'll probably just land on something better when you go over there,
1: man. I appreciate that. And I'm really hoping so like, you know, I'm a very ambitious person and I want to play to as many people as I can, Sure. you know, um, I want to spread this to as many people as I can. I want to, you know, I don't know. I want to impact people. And I know that maybe that sounds a little like egotistical. I hope it doesn't, but like, I don't know. I want people to know what we do. And I, I want to be there and share that with people in person live. Like that's the best thing about this. Um, so I appreciate your kind words, man. And I, I, I hope that uh, once this is clear, I hope we can hit it harder and, you know, just do it so we can't be ignored. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I mean, being on Ripple, I mean, I, you, you're always you're always in those um, compilation uh, album cover pictures he uh, puts out on Facebook all the time. So, I mean, at least you're being seen on a regular basis, you know. Plus, the artwork's pretty awesome, too. Who, who did that artwork for The Thief?
1: We contacted Brian Mercer out of Philadelphia, who uh, is a fabulous artist. I've been a fan of his for years. He does a lot of tour posters for bigger bands and stuff like that. And uh, we met him in Pittsburgh at a festival we played, uh, Descendants of Crom, and had a brief conversation. And he was uh, open to working with us. And then, uh, yeah, man, he just we kind of went back and forth a little bit, and um, he's... Just this supremely talented dude, and uh, he was gracious enough to like listen to our art direction and let me ramble at him forever, and he just nailed it. And uh, fantastic dude, amazing artist. Couldn't be happier with the final product.
0: Yeah, it's killer, man. I definitely have him on my radar for any future uh, album artwork for sure.
1: He is one hundred percent worth it, man. He is a he's a true pro.
0: Yeah, we've had good luck with uh, artists, man. Like we had uh David Paul Seymour do our last full length.
1: yeah, uh, and that's killer.
0: Yeah, I mean I think I think his name alone just brought brought quite a few uh people to our uh our corner of the internet to see what it's all about. So
1: I think was, he does, man. He's he's done a couple of shirts for us and he's a good guy too, and a great artist. Um It's definitely cool um getting to a point where you can talk to artists that you admire and respect and they're willing to work with you like and I get it it's a job they need they need the money so they're gonna take work um but yeah you know I think there's a point in time where a lot of people are like ah they won't even get back to me they're too busy um it is worth it to go ahead and try to make the connection and just see if someone has the time and availability because good art I think goes a really long way
0: well, it's there forever, so you might as well have something you can be not embarrassed of, you know.
1: Absolutely. Um sure. and you know, I love I love supporting artists, um, creative people. Like I want that to flourish. Um, I know that I would love to play music professionally, so if I can help someone, you know, be a professional artist in, you know, being a client of theirs, I think that's awesome.
0: Yeah, um, we're actually going to use a different guy this time because I think the the new songs are kind of I don't know they're a lot different from what the Skull Thor Evan Blade album sounded like. Okay. So we're going with like a different art direction, but
1: that's cool though.
0: But If I ever have a cool idea for like a t shirt or something, I'm still going to hit him up because his shit is pretty damn amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, do you and Jack co-write all the lyrics or does Jack pretty much write them all and you just figure out the, uh, vocal harmonies?
1: Um, so, uh, to backtrack on that, um, from before some songs I would write sometimes, some songs Jack would write, some songs Rob would write, and we would try to have parts for everybody in the vocals. Um, and then when Rob left the band, Jack and I kind of redid some of the songs so that Jack and I wrote all the lyrics and they kind of fit together a little bit more cohesively. And then on The Thief, I wrote all the lyrics. Um, Jack and I did a lot of uh, brainstorming and working together on coming up with like the storyline that flows throughout the album. Sure. But um, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do for the new one. Um, I don't know if I'm going to tackle that again. Um, I don't know if Jack wants to get back in the mix on that, um, which I welcome him to do, obviously. Um, but yeah, we're definitely going to do the brainstorming session again, because that was super fun. We just like had some beers and hashed stuff out over a couple days, and it was awesome. So we're definitely going to do that again, for sure, no matter what else happens.
0: What is the story through the Thief, anyway? I feel like it's some kind of, um, it has a nautical feel to it, but... Um... So like what it, like what is the story through the album
1: um so we actually um we just went through this on the uh, the doom tomb podcast when we played in tempe back in november um in arizona <laughs> oh dude you definitely should check uh chris's podcast out it is so good um and he uh when we first did the news of canceling the european tour he messaged me he was like hey can you do a podcast like right now? And it was like 1230 in the morning and I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do one. (laughs) And so, um, he's a great guy. Um, he's one of those people you meet and just, he's instantly family. Um, but to, uh, to answer your question. So the thief has this consistent storyline running through. Um, we do a lot of musical cues. Um, I think very cinematically and very, uh, you know, literature based when I'm writing lyrics. Um, So, we start out with, you know, the theme of the album, The Thief, that track which has, like, the big guitar harmony and everything, Mm -hmm. Um, and that represents The Thief, but the thing is, we don't know what is The Thief, we don't know who it is. Um, So, the second track starts, and you have this this ruler, this king of a seafaring kingdom, um, and he makes this proclamation to his people that his infant son has died, um, mysteriously, in the middle of the night, and so the kingdom is saddened by this but the king kind of loses his mind. And so there's like a time lapse in that song of like 20 years and the king has, you know, lost his mind, the kingdom has fallen into disrepair, the people that he was sworn to protect are dying, starving, diseased in the streets and he can't do anything about it cuz he's just so lost because his son died. Then in um that's the track I'd this king. Uh then in Drowning Bird, um his wife, the queen drowns herself she launches herself into the sea because she can't deal with what her husband has become and what he's done um to the people of his kingdom so that's kind of a wake-up call for people to be like okay something's wrong and then in the fourth track on the album uh, the fisherman's vow we get the first twist in the story where um for now we have thought the thief is death came and stole the kid away killed the kid Um, and then we find out This fisherman comes to the king and says hey I know that 20 years ago you told me to take your son and drown him in the ocean which is everyone's like that's news to us Um, and then he says well the thing is I didn't do that and so the king has the fisherman put to death for uh, disobeying orders and so now we're like okay so the king is the thief because he's the one that stole the life from the child Uh, he had his own son put to death which is strange then we get um this uh, this instrumental piece that Zach wrote a long time ago um, that we loved and never found a way to put it on until this record, and so that represents to me. The song's called "Seas Between." It's like a you know crossing the sea to the next continent over. So the the side B of the record starts with uh, "Hand to Gold, Man of Stone," where um, we hear the story of this like legendary folk hero who brought this other continent, this other country back from the brink of destruction and now they're like flourishing and they're prosperous and we find out oh this is the kid this is the kid we thought was dead he's like this folk hero over here and the end of the song he's going back home because he's found out you know there's this king that's lost his mind and his people are dying and he's gonna go try to save them now the next track the oak that's the king he f- he f- finds out that his son is coming back home and he knows like okay there's gonna be a fight and the king's old, his mind's been ravaged by depression and sadness and sorrow, but he looks himself in the mirror and he says, can you become the person you were before? Can you ride into battle one more time? Can you don your shield that says the oak, his insignia? Like, can you become that guy again? And so, the uh, the next track, uh, Fathoms, is when the battle actually happens and both men are leading opposing armies and people are dying over this, like, family thing. And then so in the end of that song, the uh the kid kills his father and as his father dies, we find out um he says I've buried you a thousand times and I loved you so much and I'm so sorry for what I had to do. And that's the next twist. It's like why did he have to do this? And we hear about this prophecy and the prophecy basically reads like, you know, if your son ever takes the throne, your kingdom is doomed. And so he kills his father, and he lays him to rest, and he takes his rightful seat at the throne, and then when he does that, the walls surrounding the kingdom collapse, and the sea rushes in, and the entire kingdom is kind of flushed away and buried under seas for the rest of history. Um, And then the last track, we bring back the instrumental theme from the beginning, but it's like softer and acoustic, and it represents kind of like closing the book, closing the last chapter.
0: Wow, that's uh, a <laughs> that's way deeper than I thought it went. That's fucking pretty cool, though, man.
1: I'm I'm a dork.
0: <laughs> I love concept albums, dude. Like our last full length was a concept album. Oh, nice. Yeah, me and Micah kind of had it. Me and Micah kind of wrote it while we were like in between bass players. Yeah. So like some songs we've had for like five years before we recorded it, and then uh, some songs we wrote while we were just in a lull, and then Chad came in. He was a guitar player. Like, hey, you want to come play bass? So he wrote bass lines like they were guitar lines. So that that opened up a pretty cool way of thinking and writing some stuff. And then, uh, and then after we recorded that, we just turned to a four piece and never looked back. But um, yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah, I love concept albums, dude. I love getting behind the meaning and trying to figure out what's going on. And I did not know that all that was going on in that album. I will have to listen to that again closer and really, yeah. It.
1: Um, do you have a physical copy?
0: Dude, I got, I got a, a CD and a vinyl. Of, okay. And a CD and two vinyls of Dead Seeds. Because <laughs> uh, the girl that does Hell Mistress, uh, she sent yeah. me, when I had you guys on Steel and Stone a couple years ago, she yeah. sent me a vinyl. And I was like, I already got one, but you know, <laughs> no, I take that back. I actually sent the vinyl to the artist who does our poster for Steel and stone. So no, I have, I just have one copy of dead seeds. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, next time you listen yeah. through the thief, uh, like follow along with the lyrics, um, and see if it kind of opens more up to you. Um, <laughs> I have a, I have a really bad habit of writing two, uh, too much of a narrative so i tried to uh pull back a little bit on that and leave a little bit more up to interpretation a little bit more up to the listener um to fill in gaps um but yeah it's uh it was definitely a a a labor of love and uh very very proud of how that turned out and i think jack and i did um if i can pat ourselves on the back here i think we did a good job like (laughs) coming up with the way we wanted the story to flow um and that was, you know, just again, like you said, we love co- concept albums, we love rush and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very cool. Very, very fun to do.
0: You said earlier that um, you can't play a tool song to save your life. Can you play a rush song to save your life?
1: Honestly, I never really did a whole lot of work with that stuff. Um, so I know that most people, when they start playing an instrument, they learn a bunch of cover songs, right? Um, right. That's what you do. I never really did that. I learned a couple for the first band I was in, but mostly I, since I started playing music, I always played in bands. So I always just kind of worked on composition and writing and that kind of stuff. So I never really played a lot of other band songs. Um, That said, I have started to get more into uh, playing like odd time stuff. And like, we're throwing a lot more of that stuff in our newer material. Uh, which I'm excited about. Um, I appreciate bands that can do the odd time thing, but it doesn't sound forced. It doesn't sound weird. It just, it sounds like, oh, it's supposed to be that way. Like uh, Elder does that. Like they're really good at that. And Torch is really good at doing odd times that don't feel odd. So we're trying, we're trying to run into that a little bit more. Um, But uh, no, I, uh, I'm not honestly a big tool fan. Um, I respect them, but the music doesn't do anything for me. Rush, on the other hand, is one of my favorites. So, I don't know. I guess uh, since I've got some downtime, I could try to nail a couple of Rush tunes.
0: You should record them and put them up on Facebook, and I'll I'll critique you from a guy who can't do it either. So, <laughs> this
1: is this is a perfect plan. We're we're gonna do great business. Um, <laughs> So, something that is fun is, um, like, right before the total shutdown happened, we we did a couple of days in my basement where we recorded some covers. So, as soon as we can kind of put that back together, um, hopefully we're going to put out, like, a digital-only uh, covers EP or something like that. Right. Um, there's going to be some cool stuff on there, some stuff I think people wouldn't expect. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm actually – I'm currently working on learning how to record – drums myself jack's our in-house engineer um and he left all the stuff here so i've kind of taken it upon myself to learn how to do this so that hopefully we can continue to write even though we can't be in the same room right now Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's been fun and challenging and frustrating and people that are audio engineers are brilliant and i don't understand it at all
0: (laughs) Yeah, the guy we use, he charges like two hundred dollars a song. Like that's recording mix mastered. And uh man, I think that's a, I think that's a steal, dude. Like two hundred bucks for a song and it yeah, sounds that's pretty good. good. Yeah. And he's cool to work with. He's hard on us. Which is good. I mean, he's not afraid to just tell me like you suck, just do better. I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll do better. yeah. yeah you like, need
1: that objective ear yeah. to say like, hey, I know you like that, but it could be better. And then it's like, okay, I'm gonna have to be better. And I think that makes you, you know, a more well-rounded musician. So that's awesome. And
0: also, he doesn't care about the metal tropes. Like, um, he's a, more of like a pop or like indie rock kind of guy. That's what okay. he's like really into. So he kind of looks at it through like a different lens of like what sounds good. So it's not just like. Yeah, just let's uh let's stack this uh rhythm track like uh, six times, make it sound real big. Like he doesn't care about that shit. He's just like, nope, you're gonna play it good one or two times. I'll reamp it, you know, and yeah. we're gonna move on. It's not gonna be like you know artificially huge sounding. You know, it's just kind of. So uh, I think that's kind of refreshing actually, because I think our stuff sounds really good.
1: Yeah, man, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, getting a like a good engineer. A good ear on your side is nice like we've never worked with a producer um but neil turry who did our uh did the uh, drum and bass recording on the thief and as well as the overall mixing after we did guitars and vocals in-house um he's dude's a genius like he's amazing um and it's really cool he only lives you know half an hour away from jack and i he lives you know 10 minutes away from seth and Seth actually used to intern at his studio. So, and he plays in a band that we're, you know, super close with called Gudger. So it's a very family oriented thing, but he's also not afraid to be like, yeah, you could do that better. Um, So he's not producing per se, but, you know, he is at least an objective ear while he's recording and mixing. So that's been nice. How much do you hate the click track? I love it. People. A lot of drummers can't play with one, um, but I worked at it and I learned how to play with one. Um, Bron Daler from Mastodon had the best way of looking at it. He was like in an interview, um, I was always intimidated by it. I couldn't use it until someone told me to picture a dude in a leather jacket and sunglasses in the corner hitting a cowbell and suddenly like it just, it clicked together and it works so well, and you don't have to be a slave to the click. You can play around with it. You can push ahead of it a little bit for, you know, picking it up. You can drag behind it a little bit to, to slow the feel down. Um, Jack and I spent a lot of time uh, in pre-production on The Thief working out tempo maps for the songs, because they had a lot of uh, natural fluctuation that we didn't even realize. And so, we spent a lot of time putting together these click tracks so that it wouldn't sound like we used a click track, but I, I like having it. I like having that direction and being able to mess with it a little bit. Um, I think it's a super helpful tool.
0: The last recording that I did for our new album, um, I think the click track really came to me on that one because I hadn't really ever had to mess with it. And when I did, it was like years and years in between, uh, recordings, yeah. but we recorded like the past three years in a row straight for like a couple days at a time. So, like, this last one, man, I, like, I, I went in there and just knocked that shit out. I was so fucking happy, like, that it finally like, came to me. Like, I didn't get bitched at by Andy. Like, we got in, we did it pretty quick and got out of there. So, it wasn't just, like, spending, like, you know, four hours on a three-minute part or, you know, some right. shit like that. And yeah, so I've, I've kind of come around to it. I also got an electric drum kit that has a metronome on, built into it.
1: So, mm-hmm. I've been practicing
0: with that. And it's nice because I can record that track, and I can just like throw it in Audacity, and then like Micah and Chad and like record a track, and I can just like import it into the project. And I can kind of mess mess around with it too, so we can like kind of demo stuff now.
1: Oh, yeah, it's nice. yeah. it's way easier to multi-track using a click. Um, you know, getting cues down is a lot easier. Um, that's why I like it, especially like you said, man. If you can't all be in the same room, it's really really difficult to uh to put something together. Otherwise like Jack sent a file of a song. He recorded um, a newer song that he put together from ideas we had, but he didn't play to a click. And so I, I put drums to it using, you know, my newfound skills as a very, very amateur engineer. And um, he was like, I don't know how you played with that. Cause I didn't use a click. And I was like, well, it was difficult. And I missed, I missed some stops and starts, but that's why the click's so nice. Cause then you don't have to worry about any of that. So yeah, it's uh. People get intimidated by it, but it's a very, very helpful tool. Yeah, like I said,
0: I've I've become a fan of it since our last recording session, for sure. Plus, the stuff I wrote was a lot simpler for me, so I think that had a lot to do with it, too. (laughs) (laughs) So, are you guys still planning for any shows this year, or are you just going to chalk it up as a loss and work on next year?
1: Well, um, we had to cancel our European tour. Right. We had, I think, five or six shows in May that we were super excited about. We had a show in Columbus with Lopan, who's one of our favorite bands and closest friends. That's obviously not happening. We had uh, weekend runner shows with Bridesmaid, also from Columbus, who, again, are just wonderful people and a great band. That's uh, not going to happen. We hadn't told anyone this, but we were going to open for Elder in Cleveland which they're like my favorite band going right now so I was super stoked and now elders postponed their tour till November. We had a 3 week tour in June we were booking and that is being postponed as well. So yeah, I I don't really know how to answer that for the for the very very time being, we are just kind of sitting on our hands and waiting. That's really all we can do right now which sucks. I hate it.
0: Yeah, we have one show in November, and I, I don't even know that's going to happen. I'm like, oh well, <laughs> like yeah. I guess we'll just stick with that one. See what goes on, but yeah. if, if stuff does resume, we might have a pretty good date to get them to get a bigger band to play with us because um, not much else going on, and everyone's postponed until fall. So we'll see, see what happens.
1: Yeah, uh, speaking of that Elder tour, um, some of our friends and some of your friends, I believe Basque from Asheville. Yep. They were, uh, they were the, the uh, main support on that whole Elder tour, and um, so we were definitely stoked to play that Cleveland date with Basque and Elder. Um, I know that uh, Elder has rescheduled their tour for November. Uh, no Cleveland date now, which is a bummer. Um, and I know Basque is still able to join them on that, so I'm super stoked for those dudes. Uh, they're great, and I think they deserve all the success they get. Um, the new Basque record is amazing. I don't know if you've really checked it out, but holy yeah, crap! I have it. I bought it's, it. I need to get a copy. I've only streamed it. It's so good. Like, I liked him before, but this album is like a whole new level. Man, it's
0: pretty short, but there's a lot in there. I mean, it's like 34 minutes or something like that. But man, it's it's packed. Do with uh, it. Just it seems a lot longer than 34, or 35 minutes. But it's, yeah, it's pretty it's amazing. Great
1: length. Oh, it's such a good record. Oh props to those dudes they, they knocked it out of the park man
0: yeah uh, Ray the uh, guitar player he, he does um, he works at the Orange Peel and the Mothlight and has a booking company down here a promotion company down here
1: mm-hmm. And man, he
0: brings in some killer bands dude and that uh, his Just, festival uh, Heavy Mountain is that uh, his that, yeah yeah it's all him uh, so
1: that's a great fest
0: yeah thank god he likes us <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> Ray I do appreciate you <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ray, you're you're golden.
0: Yeah, and next heavy mountain, whatever that is, let's get Horseburner on the bill,
1: please. Dude, I I would love to play that honestly, because like, has there been one or two?
0: Uh, two. We played the first one at the Mothlight edition with uh, Basque headlined and a band called Green Fiend from Charlotte. I think you know John from the uh, yeah
1: yeah Skylark. Uh,
0: yes, the Skylark.
1: Yeah, dude, they're great. And John's, and Toke, John's amazing. And Toke oh uh, I love those guys. Those are bros.
0: Yeah, that was the first night. And then the second night was High on Fire, headlined. And uh, I think, I don't honestly remember who. Oh, I think Obituary was on there. Which I think you guys played with them before, didn't you?
1: We did. We opened for them uh, last year in Huntington. And, dude, they were great. Um, two bands that have surprised me, because they're not bands I like regularly listen to. Uh, but when we played with them, they just blew me away. Like Obituary and Goat mm-hmm. Horror. Like, holy crap. <laughs> Those bands are great. Goat horror? Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, that's a good one. Did you play with uh, Ex Mortis by any chance?
1: Yes, we did with that Obituary yeah. show.
0: Okay. Yeah, they're they're probably one of my favorite bands going, dude. I, I love the neoclassical shred stuff, man. It's just it's insane.
1: Oh yeah. They're they're fantastic.
0: And the, lead, and the lead singer's name is Conan, so you know you can't go wrong with that.
1: <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, so he goes by
0: Conan. I'm like, I have to meet this guy one day.
1: <laughs> That's fantastic as well.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> so who do you think the biggest band you've ever pl- opened for or played
1: with is? Besides um, Temptations Wings, of course. Of, uh, I mean, number Open one. <laughs> uh, Coming in at a close second, man, we have been uh very lucky um to get the opportunity to play with some great bands I know like some of my personal favorites uh torch we got to open for them it was amazing because I've loved that band since forever almost since when they started I I caught that uh that first instrumental album that they put out like right at the beginning of their career and I ran into those guys uh, they played with baroness in Columbus last year and Jack and I went up we ran into rick and he remembered us from when we opened and he was he's such a generous kind guy and i mentioned that to him and he was like dude i accidentally leaked that and so the first torch record i ever heard was a mistaken leak from their drummer and i absolutely love that story who else is super cool weed eater was super cool corrosion of conformity we opened for them before Pepper rejoined the band they were doing more of their crossover stuff which honestly I'm a bigger fan of they were amazing and just super gracious dudes super nice guys Uh, skeleton Witch are some good friends of ours we love those dudes and uh, any chance we get a get to play with them is awesome Um, obituary goat whore yeah I don't I don't know who I'd say the biggest is but um, most influential probably corrosion if I had to guess
0: okay It's a big band. Even without Pepper's name, it's still a big, big name. I was super,
1: super disappointed that not very many people showed up to that. Um, It was like right when they started their comeback and, you know, it's West Virginia. I think it was a weeknight and not that many people were there. I was really surprised. But they, you know, of course, total pros, they gave it 100% and just destroyed the place. Oh, they were so good.
0: I saw them once without Pepper. When they started their comeback, I think. But I didn't know any of the songs, so it doesn't really stand out to me. But I've seen them like seven or eight times with Pepper. Yeah. Like going back to like uh, the Wise Blood album and Mm -hmm. Beyond when they were touring. I think Deliverance came out when I was a little bit too young. Sure. But my favorite is Blind. I don't know, or not Blind, but yeah, the Blind album. Yeah. Man, that record just... Every time I put it on, man, it just takes me back, dude. Those riffs that. and drumming are fucking insane, dude. Like, Reed Mullins drumming on that, man, was just like... It was another level to me. I mean, I know he's not the flashiest or the best, but, man, his his feel inside their songs is just, like, second
1: to none for me. It's very, very solid pocket yes. player, man. Especially
0: Dance of the Dead. That's probably better... I think, I think that song's better than Vote With a Bullet. I mean, most people know that song because Pepper sang on it, but I think dance of the dead is like the highlight of that album for sure.
1: For legendary, me. legendary band. And uh yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they're back at it and I'm glad that they have the success that they have. I think they are super deserving of any accolades they get.
0: Yeah. They are they played a uh, heavy mountain last year. They headlined. They were good, man. I hadn't seen them in like a while. Like I missed out on their whole last uh, album cycle. Uh, yeah. no cross no crown so i missed out on that and then they didn't play any songs off it which kind of bummed me out because there's a few on there i really liked but uh man they were they were fucking solid dude like they they fucking killed it man i thought pepper's voice sounded good everyone played good even the drummer i don't know who it was reed reed was already out of the band so yeah i forgot who the drummer was but yeah it was all it was all pretty killer man well, I think that's all the interview questions I got wrote, but I do have a lightning round for you.
1: Oh, God. Okay.
0: So, let's see. I'm going to give you some some random assortment here. No rhyme or reason. Okay. So, would you rather drive 100 miles for a show to play for 10 people or 50 miles and load up steps for 20 people? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> what were the <laughs> options again?
0: drive a hundred miles to play a show for 10 people okay. or drive 50 miles and load up set steps for
1: 20 people. Um, we've done both of those. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's not an either or, uh, I think I would, I would do the shorter drive and more people, even if the load ins worse. Yeah. Cause dude, like, um, you know, I was talking about playing as a kid, the venue that we played all the time when I was in probably like, eighth or ninth grade the load up the load in was up a really narrow set of stairs so i've been doing that my my whole musical life so yeah bring on the stairs well
0: the only reason i wrote that is because i know the long branch show was up a narrow staircase (laughs) inside (laughs) for some reason they didn't think to put like the playing area downstairs would have been easy they had to load that load that shit upstairs right i was like what the hell you know the bad part is about the long branch or not the long branch itself but we played there twice and the second time was voluntarily. I don't, I don't know why the hell we even went back, but we did. <laughs> it's like, we knew better, but we did it.
1: So. Uh, you do what you do for the love of rock and roll. <laughs>
0: yes, you do. Uh, let's see. Free beer tickets or free meal?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm a fat kid at heart. I'm going to take free meal personally.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Stuff that other bands do that's a pet peeve.
1: Breaking drums down on stage. Don't do it. This is from a drummer. Get your crap off the stage and tear down later. Like, come on. I learned that when I was 13. Get your act together, people.
0: That was mine also. That's a pretty common sediment. We actually played with a band in Greenville, South Carolina, one time. Um, they were supposed to play last, but somehow they played second and put us last. But when they got done, they didn't break down, dude. They just went and got beers and like, sat at the bar and I like, talked uh. to people.
1: Did you and murder? I, them? I was
0: like, Hey guys, I was like, you gotta get your show off the stage, man. Like it's been, it's been 10 minutes, you know,
1: we
0: uh, I like, Oh yeah. Sorry about that. It's like, okay. Yeah. So yeah.
1: we played a show in Jersey that a, an old friend of ours booked and this band that was supposed to go on last cause they were local, uh, pulled some crap. Like, uh, ah, we can't play last. Someone has to work in the morning and our, our buddy was super upset. And we we're like, dude, it's not a big deal. Like there's no one here anyway. Like we'll, we'll, we'll close out the night. It's fine. But when they were done, not only did he take his cymbals like off the stands and put them away, he tore down every drum shell in its case down to, and I'm not exaggerating here, Jack can verify, down to the wing nuts on his double bass drum pedal, oh, taking shit. it apart on stage <laughs> and putting it in its case. And we were like, we were out for blood. We were yeah. so pissed. Like, dude, get off the stage. We're going to fight you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was... uh hilarious like when he started breaking down his pedal like I, I about died it was crazy like come on
0: I don't know what I would have done if I saw that happening dude I, that shit drives <laughs> me crazy I usually hold my tongue but man there's just some stuff that's like you just start seeing red and you don't think you just react you know
1: we started throwing our cabs up behind him while he was taking stuff down cause like yeah you know trying to you know get
0: the hint, you know?
1: get the hint dude
0: yeah yeah. I hear you on that. I think that's a pretty common, uh, pet peeve, especially to, uh, especially the bands our size, you know, it's just like, right. We only got so much time, you know? And if, if nothing happens for a while then that crowd loses interest, man, they leave or, you know, whatnot. And there you go. Right. You're playing with nobody. So, uh, let's see WCW or WWF.
1: Ooh, dude, that's such a hard call. Um, I loved both growing up. Um, I feel like up until Austin I feel like WCW had the better story with like the NWO thing especially in the mid 90s but like going back to NWA times I feel like the WCW was always more wrestling focused while WWF was more story driven and sure. they both have their place but I got to go WCW man I was I love that stuff I still We'll watch old WCW matches um, more than I revisit WWF stuff.
0: When I was growing up, man, I had like three channels on rabbit ears and like WCW was always on like on Sundays at like 12 o'clock or one o'clock after like church uh, programming, you know? So like the WCW stars are like the ones I knew growing up. And then when I got cable, I knew of like some WWF stuff. Like if I went to my cousins or something, they would have like, you know. WWE superstars on or whatever. Like it was on Saturday, at like 12, I think. And so like those guys were always like legendary, but I think if I had to pick, I would go WCW also just for the simple fact that um, Sting was the fucking man, oh, dude. He was dang. Sting, awesome. Yeah. Stinger. Well, dude, and the you're... Steiner brothers, the Steiner brothers were WCW for a long time.
1: Dude, the uh, Steiner brothers, is... you know, I think, so, yeah. I think the Steiner brothers get overlooked. Now, as far as legendary tag teams, like those dudes were the best. And I think people forget that because Scott Steiner turned into what he turned into. But dude, old Steiner brothers, untouchable. Do you
0: remember Rick Steiner would like get in a corner and bark like a dog at his opponent and shit? That shit would crack me up, man, every time.
1: Dog face Gremlin, man. Yes,
0: yes, yes, that was it.
1: But dude, I, I I think um, you know, are you from North Carolina originally? Yeah. So, dude, of course you're a WCW guy. You're Southern, like yeah. That's the way it is.
0: <laughs> it's all I knew for a long time. So that's you know, but uh, like when Nitro and uh, Raw started, like when it started like ramping up, I remember really being into it at that time. And I was like probably, eh, I was in high school. But man, that shit, I just couldn't get enough of it for a while, dude. This shit was, shit was awesome, man.
1: Oh yeah, dude. Uh, you're a few years older than me, but absolutely, hundred percent, yeah. I. The mid '90s was the best time to be a wrestling fan. There was so much good happening. Um, nowadays, it's it's different, but like wrestling is more accessible than ever now. There's a million companies doing a million things. So like, if you have a very specific thing you like, you can go find it now. Yeah. Um, and I love a variety of things in wrestling, so I watch or I was watching a lot of stuff. I'm kind of burned out right now, but um, God bless pro wrestling, man. Yeah, I think
0: my uh, my brother in law told me he's he still keeps up with uh, WWE a lot, and like every year when WrestleMania comes on, he'll be like, "Man, you gotta like watch this match; it was really good." And he told me to watch the Undertaker and whoever the hell he wrestled. I don't even know AJ so, Styles. Yeah, I think that was it, like that graveyard match. Yeah, and like it was kind of cool the way they did like a like a almost like a short film, you know, right. with like no audience stuff. But it was still like it was just wasn't the same, man. It was like trying not to be cheesy, but came off as really cheesy at the same time.
1: I I haven't watched WWE in a couple of years now. I just I got tired of it. It's it's not a good product right now, which is a shame because they've stockpiled like a million amazing wrestlers, but the show is just not good. Um but I did watch WrestleMania out of curiosity. Wrestling without a crowd is hard to watch.
0: It's it's pretty weird, man, I have to say. I watched um I watched another match just to see what it was like in a studio and it was like I couldn't get through like five minutes. I was like, Man, this is just I just can't do this. Like Well
1: Well there was a ladder match in WrestleMania this year, and ladder matches are built around audience reaction and so these dudes are taking these hellacious bumps on these ladders to no reaction and it's like you know respect for you know going out and doing it I feel like I feel like a lot of these wrestlers know what it's like to be in a DIY band now
0: (laughs) yeah well let's see I had another question kind of relating to wrestling but probably won't work now Uh, (laughs) okay well let's see Ultimate Warrior or Sting that was my next question
1: Sting 100% Ultimate Warrior is a horrible person
0: (laughs) Didn't he
1: die, like, right after getting into the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it was actually super weird, man. He got inducted Sunday. Right. Uh, Monday, he came out, gave a promo about how, like, when the warrior has breathed his last breath, the spirit of the warrior will last forever, and then died the next day. <laughs> well, I guess forever was up for him. <laughs> Dude, it was it was eerie timing. Um, man, yeah.
0: Like, wh- what kind of stuff did he do? You do? To make his like character, I mean not not the warrior character, but like his his personal character. Like, why why was he like
1: kind of a shithead? Oh, he was just like horribly racist and homophobic, which I have a big problem with. Um, yeah, just awful.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I I didn't know much about him. I barely remember any of his matches or anything. Just a little bit of time I had WWF access.
1: Sure. I mean, I can see why kids love the character. Um, you it's know, the
0: armbands the ribbons
1: and like the Goldberg routine, you know, come out matches are a couple minutes long, get the power moves in and you're done. Um, you know, when I, when I was getting back into wrestling as a teenager, I kind of got out for like a couple of years. I was super into like work great guys. And if you couldn't do a million moves, you weren't my guy anymore. Um, and now I'm, you know, I, I appreciate a lot of different things now, a lot of different kinds of wrestling, um, Warrior never really was my guy.
0: Okay. Yeah, I didn't know much about him. So, yeah, it yeah. enlightens me.
1: You know, he, uh, you know, uh, passed away, but when he was alive, he was pretty awful.
0: Let's see. What's your favorite city to play in North America?
1: I know you guys city-
0: go to Canada too. So,
1: ah, oh, man, I do love Toronto. Um, we've played Toronto a few times and Montreal once. Hoping to, you know, do more of that soon. Um, favorite city in. The States to play? Ah, oh, that is rough. Um, th- <sighs> so, to do a long answer to your lightning round question and totally avoid <laughs> what I'm supposed to be doing. No, um, don't
0: worry. Take as long as you want.
1: <laughs> so, the thing that is cool about what we have been able to do at this point in our career, if you'll allow me the term, is uh, we have met so many amazing people all around the country now that like I have people that I can consider super close friends everywhere so I I don't know honestly if we have a number one favorite but like every time we play in Louisville Kentucky for example we have so many close friends there we have a lot of people there that used to live in West Virginia so it's like almost actual family whenever we go there Louisville's amazing so I don't know if we have a favorite but I'm going to put Louisville way the way way up there as one of the top
0: I have heard it's pretty good. I've never played there.
1: Uh, you gotta get in, man. It's it's so good. I love it there.
0: Yeah, it's like five hours from here, which isn't too bad if you get like another show on the way.
1: Sure. It's about four okay. and a half from here. So okay. a lot of times that's like our first or last stop on a tour because we can get home within five hours, and if we can do that, it's uh that's a good drive for us.
0: Yeah, I remember it takes you like what, five hours to get down here? Four and a half, five uh, hours. But-
1: about 6 to get to Asheville. Six, okay. Which again, we make Asheville the first stop on some tours too because we can get there in only 6 hours so it's a good Five. like, decent starting spot.
0: Sure. This might be another long answer but what's the worst show that you played? Let's just say, what's the worst show you played on the last tour? that you On got the last to tour?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to count our little February run because that was only 3 days. In our on our November tour that we did, like our first full U.S. run, yeah, yeah, we had so many awesome shows there. We played a show in Eugene, Oregon, to pretty much nobody on like a Monday night. But even then, like there were some cool things about it. There was like a surf rock band that headlined, which was awesome. Um, we played with Worshipper, who are our dear dear friends. One of our hometown friends lives out there now, and. He hung out with us, gave us a place to stay. We did some like live studio recording in town the next day, but as far as just the show itself goes, Eugene was pretty rough. Yeah.
0: Um, I saw those videos, by the way. They're pretty
1: good, man. Yeah, that was a fun day.
0: Yeah, we uh, yeah it was really really
1: cool. We'd never really done that before.
0: When we were younger, we did a two day tour. We did um, it was like south of Charlotte, called Rock Hill. We used to have a venue. And then we went to Gainesville, Florida, the next day, <laughs> and we got paid five bucks. <laughs> and I, and I bought a, I bought a performance DVD of us. So actually, I ended up spending that five dollars plus another five, so ten dollars for the DVD. So we came out um, negative five in the hole on our <laughs> our two day run. I don't know why the fuck we agreed to do that, but. It sounded good at the time. It was fun. But.
1: So, years ago, we did a tour with this post-rock band from Ohio called The End of the Ocean, who are awesome people, and they just put out a record a year ago, I think. That was, it's literally a flawless record. Um, but we played a show with them in Philadelphia at a place called the North Star Bar, which was where bigger bands would play when they came through, and that is not us. And so, we played, I think we brought like 19 people through the door. Yeah, because... We ate at their restaurant that was connected to the venue. And, you know, the both bands, we ended up spending a good amount of money there. And at the end of the night, we were like, so door money? And the guy was like, well, you got to bring in 20 people to break even. And you brought in 19. So we ended up giving them money at the restaurant and then not making anything back from the show. So sure. that was pretty rough.
0: Yeah. We played a show in Nashville one time, um, kind of like that. I remember the dude like wrote us a check. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this right now? We need money to get home. You know, it's like, and then I did. I lost the fucking check.
1: <laughs> so yeah. We didn't make sure. Oh, that's all. That yeah, man. So back in the day, you know, we were booking these tours and we didn't know anything about it. We were just like, ah, we'll email people. We'll show up. We'll play. Maybe there's people. Maybe there's not. Maybe we'll starve to death. And, uh, yeah. Like we weren't checking in with promoters at that point. Like, so, you know, what's the overhead for the show? How many people do we have to bring in? Like, what's the sound guy get paid? We didn't check any of that stuff. Like if someone was like, yeah, you can play our venue. We just showed up. Um, yeah, (laughs) we've, we've learned since then. We're a little bit better about that now.
0: I've learned a lot booking our shows about how to talk to, um, promoters for sure. Or, or bar owners. Yeah. So like the wonderland in Richmond, have you played there yet?
1: I love that place.
0: Yeah. So, we played there, and, like, man, I don't know what the deal was, but, like, there was some kind of weird communication thing where, like, I guess the venue owner just doesn't really get involved unless it's a band he really likes. And the promoter, I don't think, was at the show, and the sound guy was just kind of, like, the liaison between both parties. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of, like, weird, man. Like, the, the bar owner, would like, wouldn't pay us no mind. Like, we just wanted to get, like, a glass of water when we first got there because it was... It was summer. We were going up to Maryland Doomfest. It was like in June, yeah. And like, dude, he wouldn't even like acknowledge that we were at the bar, dude. He just like walked by us, like, just wouldn't say anything to us. It was, it was kind of strange, but hmm. I don't know. But the the sound guy was really cool. But I never met the the guy who booked us. I never met him, you know. So uh,
1: when was this?
0: Uh, last June, like 20, 20th, I think.
1: Okay, so Tommy is the sound guy there most of the time um he's an awesome guy he's we've we've known him for a few years now um but i don't think he handles the booking there anymore because um the guy who used to run what was the the main venue there that got Uh, shut down yeah he uh he does the booking there now and tommy just runs sound i think sure so yeah i can see there being you know some lapsed communication because of that but we still love that place
0: Oh, I would go back there. I like the the stage was really nice, and we sold a lot of merch. I mean, surprisingly oh, yeah. enough. So yeah.
1: And Tommy's great at what he does too. He's uh he's a knowledgeable sound guy.
0: Yeah, actually, he was supposed to give us a, a soundboard recording, and I forgot to grab it from him. And I tried to get a hold of him, but I never got any response back from anybody about how to yeah. do that. So I was like, damn it. And so maybe one day I'll get to hear it, but maybe who knows? It's out there somewhere.
1: It's floating in the ether. Yes, yes.
0: Uh, let's see. Let's go uh, pizza or cheeseburgers.
1: Oh, that's a tough call. Um, it is. I think cheeseburgers are like my favorite food, though, so it's got to edge out pizza for me just a little bit.
0: Uh, your answer could probably be different tomorrow, like it would be for me. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Yeah.
0: Let's see. Let's go uh, best fest that you have actually played and not been booked on, because I know that European tour is the sore subject right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um we have been again uh i feel very lucky to have done what we've done and we've gotten to play a lot of like the mid-level fests around the country um maryland doom fest was awesome we opened the doom the whole weekend which is cool because it was like they trusted us to set the tone for the whole party um and it was awesome and uh our friend Mark, who uh, used to be involved, uh, he's a dear, dear friend. We've stayed with him, I think, more than any band has ever stayed with anybody. Um, and uh, he's no longer involved with Doomfest, but he's a great dude. Doomfest was great. Uh, Shy Kennedy runs Descendants of Crom in Pittsburgh, which is always a fun time. We uh, we played the first Doomed in Stonefest in Indy, but I think that my favorite that I've played, I uh, just got a reminder of a couple days ago, In again, Facebook memories, was uh, Fire Breather, which our friend Drew from Arcaris in Indianapolis put on a couple of years ago. And it wasn't going to be a recurring thing. He didn't do like open submissions for bands. He he personally curated this list of, of bands. And it was it was super fun. One of the best fests I've ever played.
0: That sounds like a pretty good one. I think I remember the, that lineup on that. When I'm sitting around doing nothing, like most people, I just get on Facebook and see what other bands are up to. Keep my eye on right. them. Because it's the best way to dude. find out like what's going on. Like, oh, here's this festival I should make a note to try for next year. Or, you know, here's yeah. a venue in the town to think about trying to get a show in. So, yeah. My wife calls it wasting time, but I call it, I call it research. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fire Booty was great, dude. Um, Telekinetic Yeti headlined. To- it was the first time we played with Tope, was that show. Uh, our Good friends and Stonecutters from Louisville, Mound Builders, uh, Drew's own band Arcaris played, Heavy Temple played. Um, it was just a great day, top to bottom, great, great lineup.
0: Hopefully we'll get back to playing some fest in the near, near future, I hope.
1: Hopefully shows happen again in the near future.
0: Man, it's almost like, a, at this point, it's like, I wonder if, you know, I wonder if it's just going to be, uh, the future is going to be live streaming, you know.
1: Man, I hope not.
0: I mean, I don't. I can't say I really hate the live stream thing because, like, it's kind of cool. Like Howling the Giants, I thought was pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah, nothing against the live streams. I think it's great that bands are able to do it. But like, for me, the whole reason I play music is to play live. So if In that doesn't people, happen, yeah, if that doesn't happen, then I don't know. I don't know what I'll do.
0: I don't know, man. You gotta love it. Every every phase of it is equally important. But
1: uh, yeah, dude. I remember uh, there was a year where we didn't play much that year um 2014 we only played like six or seven shows all year and i got weird i got stir crazy i got cabin fever like my uh wife who was my girlfriend at the time was just like you need to get out of the house because you're driving me nuts (laughs) and uh yeah so if i don't play i get weird so
0: like this virus every time you hear about it like it seems like it is supposed to be worse than what they said. Like first it was like, yeah, it's just like the flu. You'll be all right. Now it's like, now I hear that if you contract it, like it, it mutates inside you and changes you forever. Like your immune system and stuff. I'm just like, I wish I could just get a straight answer on what the, sh- what this shit is. You know, it's I like, know. you're like the worst. And it's like, what the hell? And I don't, I don't know. You just don't know what to do.
1: You know? Yeah, man. It's, it's a strange situation right now. Cause like the internet people are able to say whatever they want and so false information gets passed on yeah, so yeah. i don't know what the truth is i don't know if anybody does right now
0: i don't, I don't, I don't know anybody who's ever had it so i don't even know like to to hear it from somebody you actually know and would like take their word for it i don't know anybody like that yeah so i'm just like i don't know i'll just i just see how it plays out and stay at home as much as i can and do this podcast and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just uh, talk to old band friends about the good old days, you know.
1: <laughs> there you are. <laughs> Reminisce. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, it's wild right now. I, uh, It's a waiting game. I'm trying to do the same thing, just stay home as much as I can. I'm only going out if I need, like, groceries or something like that. I just, I wish more people would do that so that there was a chance of, you know, as they say, flattening the curve so this would be yeah. over sooner. But like I said, man, people are still going out in droves and people are having family get togethers and uh just stay home i know it sucks but stay home
0: yeah i haven't even seen my mom in like a month and she lives like 15 minutes away from me (laughs) just (laughs) you know it's weird like you know she's like how's my grandbaby i'm like good you know it's like you can come over and see her because i know you don't go anywhere either but you know whatever
1: so. yeah my uh my parents came and dropped off some supplies for us the other day and we talked to them from like you know 10 feet apart outside oh
0: social distanced yeah
1: but uh you know they didn't stay very long it wasn't right. like a you know let's catch up and hang out so i'm trying to call her my mom more than i do because i should do that anyway <laughs> and uh, uh this whole thing is weird i cut all off guard and I think it's interesting it showed a lot of the systems that we've had in place like don't have to be the way they are you know what I mean yeah um, so I am naively hopeful that maybe there will be some good changes come out of this but there's also a chance that that won't happen and things will go right back to the way they were as soon as it's over yeah I hear you
0: well let's do one final lightning round question Let's do. All right. let's do coronavirus or Ebola what do you got
1: <laughs> Uh which one I liked better? Uh, yeah, sure, um, why not? I guess I'd pick ebola <laughs> as weird as that sounds because it didn't cancel my European tour. The fucking
0: coronavirus and then yeah. Yeah. And that's
1: my that's the most selfish answer I could possibly give to anything.
0: Dude, it's okay to be selfish, man. Like you didn't plan on this shit happening. It just fucked everybody up, you know. At least you're not in the same at least you're not alone.
1: Yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing. We can complain and whine and cry all we want, but we are commiserating with a lot of people and a lot of bands. Um and you know, because most of us in the band have a source of income because we don't make any money from our music uh right now, like you know, Yep.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> you know, we have most of us have jobs. I can't do mine right now. I'm unemployed. Substitute teaching and waiting tables. I can't do either of those things right now. You know, at least at least we're not gonna starve. I'm on unemployment for the first time in my life. I've never had to do this before. Um, you know, I've been lucky with steady employment um, since I was 18 or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna use this time. You know, when I'm not saving up for having a you know a little pad for a tour, like I'm gonna pay down some debt and try to get out of get out of that hole. So that, uh, hopefully when this is over, I'll start fresh.
0: Oh, did you guys get your uh, plane tickets reimbursed?
1: Uh, partially. I got a partial refund. I think Matt got a partial refund. I don't know if Jack ever was able to get a hold of anyone. He said they called him one night at like two in the morning and he didn't (laughs) answer because he was asleep. Yeah. And then he hasn't been able to get a hold of anyone since. So, yeah, we, uh. We might be out of luck a little bit there. Um, I know we didn't get full refunds on anything, so oh, sucks. yeah, it's super sucks. I can't believe that airlines are able to get away with that.
0: It seems to me like if they don't want to refund you, they would just like be able to like transfer your flight that you had to like another one in the future.
1: Well, they did offer that, but it was until the end of 2020 and it's like, we don't know if oh, shows gotcha. will happen. Like we can't do that. So yeah, it it kinda sucks. They're yeah. Pretty pretty awful about it, honestly.
0: What airline was it?
1: Uh British Airways. Oh okay. Yeah. Just
0: a public service announcement to all bands, don't use British Airways if you can help it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Alright, man. Uh your stuff's on Bandcamp and Spotify, right? Uh yeah. Okay.
1: Yep, we're all over the place. If you Google us, we are the only thing you will find because of our unique name.
0: Yes. And I can personally vouch for the guys that they don't torture animals.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Nor do they grill them if they find them on the side of the road up there in wild and wonderful West Virginia.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A lot of roadkill around these parts. That is true.
0: You go down to Florida and shit, it's like alligators and armadillos. Up here, it's like deer carcasses yeah. and turkeys and squirrels, you know. And I don't even know what y'all got up there. Mothman carcasses, um, maybe. I
1: don't know. <laughs> you think the Mothman's dumb enough to get hit by a car? Uh,
0: well, I don't know, man. Like, it's, it's hard to say. Like, I just <laughs> until I until I encounter one, I just don't know what to think about them.
1: It's uh, it's mostly deer up here. Deer, rabbits, squirrels, skunks,
0: possums. yeah,
1: possums for sure we have uh we've been lucky we have only hit one deer that i'm aware of on tour and actually it wasn't even on a tour it was a i think it was last year jack and i were coming back from a show in athens of all places you know 40 minutes from my driveway and this deer just darted right in front of us and jack tried to avoid it but you know it was sad cuz i like animals a lot that's the only one we've ever hit on the road and i think that that's a testament to Jack's driving.
0: That's pretty good. I've hit, um, I've hit two deers. Killed one, and the other one probably needed to be shot, but it got away. So I don't, know. I don't know if I probably broke his leg, you know, something like that. But um,
1: yeah, I've uh, never hit one personally. I clipped one one time. I looked down for a split second, looked back up, and a deer was crossing the road. And I like, I found a little tuft of hair in my front bumper that was stuck in there but the deer literally didn't even affect it it just ran as fast as it could ran away so
0: yeah man those things are they're a hazard sometimes but oh well that's called called sharing the earth i guess
1: i guess so (laughs) yeah
0: i don't know why they don't follow the deer crossing signs it seems to me you know that'd be the best thing to do (laughs) but
1: can't you all read
0: (laughs) man we put the sign up just for you deer and you don't even follow it Bunch of assholes.
1: <laughs> oh man!
0: All right, man. Well, I believe that is it. Um, everybody, go check out Horseburner if you've never heard of them before. I don't think you'll regret it. Personally, one of my favorite bands. Going, regardless of size. I think once all this lifts, their name will be on you know some big festival posters, and hopefully not in the fine print. But, hey, you got to go hey, where well, you got to go, right?
1: We will take what we can get, man. We just want to play anywhere. We want to play as much as possible. Um, if I could live on the road half a year at a time, that's what I'd do.
0: All right, man. Well, you got anything to add before we wrap this uh, conversation up? Yeah, this is a long one. Um, <laughs> it's pretty long, yeah, but I like bantering, so it's cool. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I'll just say uh, I want to send out a shout-out to all of our – friends and people that we love you know in bands that can't do anything right now uh, we're all in this together be nice to people and we'll uh, we'll see everyone as soon as we can
0: alright man well that is it for episode 4 of the Alehorn podcast uh, don't forget to support your local bands when they come back and support them now by buying their merch um, spreading the word to your friends who may not have heard of them wear a t-shirt out in public. Uh, if you have a band branded mask, go ahead and be proud of it and, and sport it at the grocery store while you hunt toilet paper or whatever you do. That's
1: the ticket right there. Band masks.
0: <laughs> yeah. I wish I got on that sooner, man. I was like, damn, I was like, bands beat me to it. Now it doesn't seem like a novel idea. So, <laughs> so. Oh, All well, right, well, Adam man, take care of there in West Virginia. We hope to see you uh, pretty soon in person. And, uh, Man, we'll have you back on a fat European tour so I can get uh, your opinion on German food.
1: Sounds fantastic. We'll uh, Hopefully I'll see you as soon as I can, man.
0: Yeah, man. Tell Jack I said hello.
1: Will do. Peace and love, dude. All
0: right, man. Thanks a lot. See you later.
1: Bye. All right.